following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. How many of you vividly remember junior high? Give me, give me a hand. Okay, there's some junior hires out here. Your hands ought to be up. If you're a junior hire and you don't remember junior high, there's a problem, okay? Maybe we need to talk after church. All right, so, so we got a few of you that vividly remember junior high. Um, another question for you. How many of you took part in junior high, this sounds so weird, dating relationships? Anybody? Got a few of you? Okay, a few of you. Now, in, 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 in the home that I grew up in, you could not date until you were 16. In the home I'm a part of now, that has been bumped up to 19, okay? So, so this is the deal. Um, if, if for my case, like, I could not, like, go on a date as a junior higher. So what did junior... I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it looked like, because I, too, remember it. Um, I remember something along these lines. If, if I was... If I or some other junior hire is really brave, they actually spoke this to the person that they liked. Typically, it wasn't done with, with audibly. It was done by writing a note or something like that or through somebody else. Okay, And those in-between mediators, and these are very important people in the junior high scheme of things. All right, So what we have here, this is the question, and I don't know if it's still this way. Junior hires, maybe I ought to ask you this. Back in my day in junior high, it was this. Do you want to go with me? That's what it was. We laughed before, Edna. Okay, all right. It was not funny then. It was very serious. I mean, do you want to go with me? And I never quite, looking back, can figure that out because where did you go? Nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. You rarely talked to the person you rarely spent any time together at all, but you were going with them. And looking back upon that, I don't know if I could call that a relationship, all right? But when I was in junior high, oh, you, you better believe it, it was a relationship, okay? Another question for you. Do you have people today that you would put on your love list. In other words, a select group of people that you actively tell them you love them and you show it by your actions. Does everyone have a love list? I hope hope so. (laughs) Dad's like bumping the kiddos like, come on, you got a love list and I better be on it, all right? All right, so, I mean, I I would say... Every one of us, we've got, we've got a love list. And, and for some people, that list can be a little bit longer. It's just sometimes by just the nature of their family. You know, I'm married into a family. Dennis and Debbie had 15,000 kids, all right? Um, so their love list is, is really, really big. Um, the people on your love list, what I would like you to ponder for a little bit is how much time you spend with those people. And I think that by working through that mentally, you can, you can for sure decide if that individual 
should be or should not be on your love list. Because those on our love lists, we should spend a tremendous amount of time with them, I would say. Last week, we did talk about mysteries. We talked about this great mystery that that Paul described. Paul was a minister of this mystery. We talked about him being a middleman in this. And we looked at it in Colossians chapter 1, and that incredible passage of Scripture talking about the mystery between God and mankind. And that mystery looked like this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. From Colossians 1. Incredible passage of scripture. And and, and we talked about that mystery of, of, of having Christ reside within us as a people and also individually within us, in our hearts. Okay, So we didn't really go into detail last week about what that looks like, about having Christ within. Today we're going to take a look at that. Um. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. I should have given you a little bit more of a heads up than that. I apologize. We're going we're to start here, and before we're done, we're going to come full circle back to it again. All right? Luke chapter 10, verse 27. This is, this is a response to a question posed to Jesus by those who were opposing him. And it's recorded in, in, in Matthew, in Mark, and Luke. When Jesus was asked a question, he was asked a question for a reason. They were trying to trap Jesus, and their traps never worked. His opposition, I don't know why they continued to try it, but they did. And, and I just chose Luke to, to read this one in, not for any reason in particular. Um, I, like, I like Dr. Luke. Um, and this is what it says. I'm just going to tell you that the question that Jesus was asked is, what is the... What is, what is the most important law? That question was posed Jesus by, by an expert in the law. And Jesus answered and he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. We call that the great commandment. What Jesus said, he said, all of the law can be summed up in that. Love God with everything that you've got. The great commandment. And, and this relationship with God is built upon that. And the reason that that great commandment is so important is turn over another basis for this relationship with God. We can read about it. comes from Romans chapter 8. Now, don't forget Luke 10, because we'll, we'll come there before we're done again, all right? But it'll be a little while. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. This is Paul speaking to the Christians in the church in Rome. And man, this, this verse is amazing, all right? Remember... Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul, and he was a Pharisee. So he was the upper crust of of the Jews. And the thing you got to remember about the Jews is the Jews, as much as they loved, as much as they respected God, they saw this gulf between God and mankind. So much so that God's name, Yahweh, as we read in our Old Testament, it was basically a word, a title, a name 
that the Jews would not speak. It was the unspoken name. Such was their respect, and, and they felt like their distance from this untouchable God. You, don't, you, you can't even call him by his name. And this is what Paul has to say about that God and his people. He says, chapter 8, verse 15 of Romans. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the best translation in our language that we have for that is Dad or Daddy. We've been put in a place by Christ and his sacrifice. We've been put in a position that we can look to God and call him dad. And he builds this thing between us and him upon relationship. Here's a question. What does a relationship with God mean? What does, now if you're a note taker, we're going to have several things for you today, okay? And if you're a note taker, get those, get the pen out, get ready, all right? So here you go. What does a relationship with God mean? First of all, it means this. He knows and he cares for me personally. Personally. That's why we call it a, what? A personal relationship with God. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We throw those terms around quite often. Today we're going to get at the basis of what that means. First of all, what it means is this. God knows me and he cares for me personally. He knows everything about you. Even what you would wish he would not know. He knows it. And he knows it to a greater extent than you even know about yourself. And it's personal. Number two, he listens to you, he listens to me, and he responds. I mean, that's what Jesus said. He said, go to him. You ask, you seek, you knock, and you do it repeatedly. He listens and he responds. Number three, a personal relationship with God. This is what it means. He individually guides and directs me. He individually guides and directs me. I'll tell, I'll tell you what, guys. I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds amazing. That sounds great. That the creator of everything, the sustainer of everything, that all-powerful God wants that with me. So here's the question. I'm thinking that probably sounds pretty good to you too. I hope so. Here's the question. If that sounds so good, why are we prone to substitute relationship with religion? Why? God does not call his people to be religious. God calls his people to be a part of his family. That's what God does. So let's look here just for a moment at the difference between religion, and I'm telling you, a large portion of the world who believes in God falls into that category. And so what's the difference between religion on this side and relationship with God on the other? First of all, religion, 
It is a one-size-fits-all approach to getting close to God. All right? Now, don't misunderstand me, all right? We're not talking about answering the call of God. Because this thing that I hold in my hands and you hold in your hands is very clear on how we get to God. It's through Jesus Christ. And there is a heavenly divine formula there, okay? So that's not what I'm saying. That You cannot leave those parameters. That is how you answer the call of God in your life and how I do that. But what I'm talking about here in this one-size approach of getting close to God is not about finding God. It's, a, it's about growing. It's about discipleship. It's about becoming and looking more like Jesus. And religious emphasizes rules and rituals. You can't do that. 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 And you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. And you have to do this. You you know what the problem with religion is? Making this huge set of rules that I have to abide by. What you have to do and not do is done to make God happy with you or to get God to do what I want him to do. Do you understand that? That's religion. I I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this because I want God to be happy with me. Um, or I got something that I want God to take care of. So God, I'll make this deal with you. You take care of this and I'll do this, this, and this. That's religion. Relationship's a little bit different. Very much different. It's more than a little bit. Relationship is, each relationship with God is unique. We've got some followers of Jesus in this room, a good number of them. And your following Jesus is going to look, now, don't, don't misunderstand where there's house rules that we all follow, okay? The house rules is this, we look more and more like Jesus. We answer the call of Jesus. We are washed clean by Jesus' blood. But our relationship with God is unique in this way. How we get close to God looks entirely different for each one of us. I was thinking of a way to make an example of this, and I was really having a hard time this week. <laughs> I was like, how? This is, this, is, this is not an easy thing to explain. Okay? And then it hit me. I thought, the elders of this congregation. Let me talk to you a little bit about the elders of this church. I'm going to talk about Bill first because he's sick and he's not here and he can do nothing about it. All right? One of the things that we did when we, the, the church staff, the church ministers, well, JB and I are the ones who preach up here on a pretty regular basis, we went together with the elders last October, remember, and did kind of a getaway for a whole weekend and we were all gone for a weekend. And one of the things that we did that weekend is, is the elders, together with us, decided what they do. Their, if you will, specialized area of ministry. And this is what we came up with. It was kind of interesting. Bill, you know what Bill is at heart? Bill Ellis? He's a counselor. I don't know how many times I've heard about Bill being at somebody's house when there's some sort of crisis, whether it's a marital crisis or a family crisis, at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's like, my, you call me at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm talking to you at 8 o'clock the next morning. You know, it's like, 
Now, I'm not saying that completely, all right? Call me, and the third call, I'll probably answer, okay? If it's really important. Bill's in somebody's house. Sitting and working through something, listening to someone, talking to someone. That's what he is. He is a counselor at heart. And some of you in this room have probably experienced that at some time or another. It's been a part of his relationship with people and his relationship with God his whole, his whole life. Melvin? Melvin is... I don't know how many times I hear about Melvin being at the hospital. Melvin going and visit somebody who, who can't get out of their home. Going and visiting those that sometimes get overlooked. And, and there's something very pastoral about that. And that's, 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 that's who he is. It's what he does. If he knows about it, he's going to be there. Especially if, if, if somebody else can't be there, he's going to be there. That's him. That's his heart. Steve Fry. Steve is a discipler of men. It's been at his heart for a long, long time. Steve is not happy in ministry unless he's got a number of men, many times young men, that he's trying to help and lead towards becoming better fathers, better husbands, better followers of Jesus. It is very, very important to him. And David Hershey, he's a family guy. And it's not just because they have a bunch of kids. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's, that's what's at his heart. When we're at me, and he'll bring it up quite often. So, okay, how, how is this going to impact our families? How is this going to impact the young families within the congregation? And I will tell you this right up here right now. When we have another marriage enrichment retreat, which he asks about quite often, he will be right in the middle of it, okay? That's at the heart of our elders. I know what you're saying, but preacher, that's, what's that have to do with relationship? That's serving. Hold that thought for a little bit. We'll come full circle to that. But I want you to understand, for those elders, every one of them is unique in how they serve. What's that have to do with relationship? Hold that thought for a bit. Here's a question we're going to look at. Like I said, if you're a note taker, get ready again. Get that pen ready. Here's a question we're going to wrap up with today. What does it take to have a great personal relationship with God? What does it take to have a great personal relationship with God? You ready? This is, this is coming directly from one of my favorite preachers, Larry Osborne. Not actually from a sermon, but some of his writing. And I'm, I mean, I am pilfering it right here, okay? This is coming right to you. That's why I'm letting you know. I love what he has to say here. He says this. What does it take to have a personal relationship with God? Number one, don't try to put God first on the list. And I know what you're thinking. Whoa, wait a minute here, preacher. Wait a minute, because I've been told since I was in VBS that you have a list. God first, family second. The church third, and sometimes people flip those around. I'm not sure exactly where to put that. Depends on which verse you're reading in the Bible. And then so on and so forth down the list. But God's always first. Here's the problem with that. What do you do with a list? This is what I do with a list. I check it off. And the thing about putting God first on the list, we're never done with God. So instead of putting God first on the list, put him right in the middle of everything. 
got that? Right in the middle of everything. We looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago. It comes from Colossians. You can turn there if you'd like, um, but I'll read it for you. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Since we just looked at this a couple of weeks ago, it's fine if I just read it for you. Colossians 3.17. This is Paul, his advice to a church, his advice by the Holy Spirit. He says this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And what we talked about a couple of weeks ago is this. Wouldn't it be amazing if we began every one of our days with that verse first and foremost in our mind, saying to God, praying to God each and every day, this, God, in everything I do today, help me represent Jesus Christ. Everything. Everything I do. How do I represent Christ in everything today? See, religion can lead to boxes. That's what religion does. And those boxes look like this. I got my spiritual box. I got got my religious box here, okay? And then I've got my secular or my worldly box over here. So I got got my... And instead of thinking of the box that we get in, think of the box we're standing on at the moment. So right now I'm standing on my spiritual box. And right over here, I'm standing on my worldly box. See, religion leads to that. In other words, this is the way the mind will work for religious people. I'm on my spiritual box right now. I can't tell that joke. I need to wait till tomorrow when I get on my worldly box and then I can tell that joke. You understand? And you can apply that to all places in life. In a healthy relationship with God, there are no boxes. Because God is in the middle of it all. Every bit of it. Don't put God first on the list. Put him in the middle of everything. Number two. How to get a healthy relationship with God. Find out what works for you. Find out what works for you. Guys, what we, what we often do is we take somebody's description of what works for them in getting closer to God. For some people, that looks like this. For Steve Fry, I can tell you right now, it's getting up at before now, because he goes to work so early, before 4 o'clock in the morning and opening God's word for at least half an hour, following that with a time of prayer. That works for Steve Fry. Not working right here. Okay? I get up and I do that. I don't even know what to tell you about that. It's not happening. All right? The mind is not going to be there. But what, I th- what, what we have the tendency to do is, oh, that works great for Steve. That, that'll work for us. That's what I need to do. That's what I do. We take a description and we make it a, a prescription. It's like, I got to do that. That... Dr. Steve, which he doesn't say this, by the way, he prescribed that for me, so that's what I've got to do. But it doesn't work that way. What works for me growing closer to God is not necessarily going to work for you, Alexis. Okay, it's just the way it is. Now, don't, don't, don't forget, there are some house rules to follow. Get to know this, spending time in prayer with that guy we have the relationship with that we call dad. That is important, but it looks a little bit different. And this is the thing. Sometimes it takes time to figure out what works for you and what works for me. Find it out. Work at it. Number three, 
You want a great personal relationship with God? Beware of substituting empty rituals for closeness to God. I got a confession to make, all right? Because the question I'm about to ask, I've been there. Have you ever sat down, whether it be at Arby's or at supper with your, with your family, and say a prayer, and then 30 seconds later, say a prayer again because you forgot you said the prayer already for the meal? I've been there before. <laughs> um, how much did that prayer mean when 30 seconds later, I don't remember I did it? Beware of substituting empty rituals for closeness with God. Why did I pray for the meal? Because it wasn't supposed to do. First Samuel chapter 15 is a really interesting passage of scripture. We're in this transition period from King Saul, the first king of Israel. And this is, he had already messed up before, but now he royally messes up. And it's at this point that God makes his decision that I'm moving away from Saul. And I'm going to go to this this guy over here, and we know the guy that he went to was David to become the second king of Israel. And the problem is, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about this story, but Saul royally messed up. He was told very specifically by the prophet Samuel something that needed to be done, and he did not do it. And then he tried to make excuses as to why he did not do it. And one of his excuses was this, Oh, I didn't do it because I'm going to use what I should have destroyed to offer sacrifices to God. That's why we did not destroy the best of the spoil of the battle. Because I'm going to offer it and sacrifice to God. And Samuel looks at Saul and he says, To obey God is better than the fat of rams. In other words, to obey is better than sacrifice. Guys, beware of substituting empty rituals for closeness to God. Do we have a list of things that need to be done so that God will be happy with us? Are we working to get close to that God? Beware of substituting empty rituals for closeness to God. And number four, here we go. When it comes to our relationship with God, we need to expect to go through seasons and stages. Got a little hint for all of us in this room, and some of you could, could tell this, because there's people in this room who have been at this longer than I have. Being close to God is not the same as being relaxed and carefree. And, and it, it, it doesn't mean, being close to God doesn't mean that life's just going to be wonderful all the time. Quite honestly, some of the times we get closest to God are brought through great difficulty and trials. Why don't you turn to, we're going to turn to the end. This one will be easy to find. Turn to Revelation. What you're thinking? Hot dog, preacher's going to preach on Revelation. Here we go. First part of Revelation. Oh, you punk. <laughs> That's the only part preachers will talk about. It's because the rest of it, I don't know. It's prophecy. It's the end, okay? All right. 
Back to Revelation 2, all right? Beginning with verse 4. This is the church, interestingly. Revelation begins by Jesus basically writing or telling letters to be written by the Apostle John to seven different churches. And one of those churches was one we hear about quite about in the New Testament, the church in Ephesus. And there's a passage of scripture here that gets ripped out of context and just torn to pieces all the time. This is Jesus talking to the church in Ephesus. He says this, I have, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You have left your first love. And you know what? Us preachers, teachers are tempted to do with that, and I've heard it done, is this. They try to, we try to take that passage of Scripture and, and about that church in Ephesus. Well, that church in Ephesus, they fell out of love with God. They, they just fell flat on out of their face right out of love with God. But the interesting thing is, falling in and out of love has so much more to do with feelings than conviction. And the Bible is not about feelings. It is about conviction. And the word they use there for love is agape love, sacrificial love. And God makes it very clear how we are to show sacrificial love in this life. It's interesting that so many times when verse 4 of Revelation 2 is talked about, verse 5 is left out. But we get the rest of the story in verse 5 when it says this. Therefore, I mean, come on people, I mean you got to look. What does therefore mean? It means, what's it there for? Okay? So, verse 4 is there. Verse 5, it's there for this. Alright? Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent and do the deeds you did at first. And then he gets pretty powerful, pretty strong with him here. Or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you Repent. Do the deeds you did at first. Doing things for God. It's not religion. It's serving others. It's serving others even when we don't feel like it. And I know what you're thinking. What does serving others have to do with our relationship with God? Everything. It's not religion. Serving others is relationship. We show God our love for Him, not by being religious, but by serving others. All right, let's think about this for a moment. Closest earthly relationship we have. Okay, when I say earthly, for just a moment here, we're we're leaving God out of the equation, all right? So the closest earthly relationship that we have, for many, for probably most of us, is the relationship that we have with who? With our spouse. Yes, with our spouse, okay? Here for a moment, think about this. Now, I thought about making this personal. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. So we're just going to throw it out there very much hypothetically because I don't want Donna to be mad at me, all right? Okay, so think about this for a moment. 
Your spouse, he or she dies. Okay? You later remarry. Everything's going great except for this. You don't care in the least about the children of your new spouse. How good is that relationship going to be? Not very good. Because your new spouse loves those kiddos. Back to Luke 10, 27. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest What is the law? What is the most important law? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he follows it with what? And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus even goes to the extent of talking about the future when he comes back and he judges this world. The ones that he will judge and the ones that he will reward. And the ones he will reward are those who clothed him fed him, visited him. And you remember what the sheep say. Lord, when did we see you in prison? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you without any clothing? I don't remember seeing you there. And he says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for who? For me. Relationship with God is built upon our care for each other. And the question when it comes to relationship, I have to ask myself is this, am I close enough to God to get close to his children? 